Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lag Radio, your weekly source of video game appreciation, chiptune idolatry, super sweet giveaways, and so very much more. This week on the show, I am one for one going solo i am here just by my lonesome in the station but i am here to deliver a full episode of the show and it's not just chiptune like last week we uh last week we had to change our plans we had to switch things around a little bit and we went for a full two-hour chiptune show which was a great time we listened to a whole lot of wonderful music but this time i'm actually gonna be talking about a game so if you didn't get to watch the stream this past week my twitch stream is twitch.tv slash dj underscore marmar I actually went through a sweet indie darling from 2009 called Machinarium. It was developed by a Czech-based developer called Almanita Design and uh, actually is continuously just kind of kept on coming out with new versions of the game even through, I think even last year was when they released it on the Switch. So I'm going to be talking about that game this evening. I'm going to be talking about the history and development cycle, some lessons learned in game design from the creator of the game. We're also going to be discussing the gameplay elements. We're going to be talking a little bit about the story and what happens throughout the game, even though it's this completely dialogue-less game. Yeah, there's actually nothing that goes on with spoken or verbal or anything like there's no words, basically. It's all just acted out. So besides, despite that, we're still going to discuss the story and what happens throughout the game. And we're also, of course, going to listen to that amazing soundtrack. It is by Tomas Dvorak, uh, the, actually goes also by the name of Floex. So we're going to be listening to Floex's soundtrack to the game, some really off-kilter weird stuff in some places, some really atmospheric and ambient uh, kind of acoustic electronic sound it's really really fantastic and especially in context with the game it works so well so i highly recommend uh just checking out the soundtrack if even if you don't particularly want to play the game but without further ado we're gonna get into that music actually you know what no a little bit of a do <laughs> i do want to plug my little bit of a social media outlet so if you don't already know i have some social media outlets you can visit it's facebook.com and twitter.com slash lag life radio you can find me on instagram at dj double underscore marmar as i mentioned before the twitch is twitch.tv slash dj single underscore marmar and then finally our podcast archive and everything is available on lagradio.kuci.org i'm a little bit behind on that archive however now we are in the winter break yes so i will be able to catch up i'm finally going to have a little bit of free time a little bit of breathing room and i'll be able to focus on some uh or hopefully a lot of stuff related to the show all right so let us enjoy machinarium the soundtrack by thomas dvorak also known as Flowax. we're going to listen to the bottom first and then we're going to listen to clockwise operetta before i launch into the history and development so thank you so so much for listening to kuci 88.9 fm in irvine again my name is marma the midboss and this is lag radio Hello, everyone, and welcome back to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. My name is Marmar the Midboss, and you are listening to Lag Radio. We just got done listening to two songs off of the Machinarium soundtrack. Most recent one was Clockwise Operetta, and before that one was The Bottom. Both of those, of course, done by the composer of the soundtrack, Tomas Dvorak. Or Dvorak? I don't know. I feel like the D has got to be completely silent, right? But also there's that weird-looking symbol above the j that i don't know how that changes the pronunciation i probably should have looked up some sort of uh pronunciation guide on this particular person's name 
or, and also the name of the uh, one of the creators of the game itself, the designer. But we'll get into that shortly. My apologies to them and to uh, any native speakers of uh, Czech. Yeah, I guess that's the na- the language as well. All right, so we're talking Machinarium this evening. It is a indie title from 2009. It was originally released on the PC, Mac, and Linux, but later on saw ports to a whole host of different other platforms, including the iPad. Uh, shortly afterwards, it was the Android. It did come out for the PlayStation 3 and the PlayStation Vita handheld. Most recently, it saw a port to the Nintendo Switch, and it also even saw ports to uh, the Windows Phone and the BlackBerry Playbook, whatever that is. I don't know. It's I imagine it's some sort of tablet device from BlackBerry that just no one picked up unfortunately rest in peace blackberry um, so yeah it saw a whole lot of ports over the past almost decade since it was released and uh, there's certainly a reason why now when it comes to the game itself it was made by the developer amanita design it's a group of seven czech developers and they were headed by the director of this particular title jacob vorsky and they first started working on this game using their own savings. Now, this is a similar story to a lot of the other Labors of Love indie games that we've discussed on the show, stuff like Stardew Valley, stuff like Gone Home, and uh, uh, Fulbright, right? Fulbright Studios, yeah. They were all kind of just passion projects, Labors of Love of people who really wanted to progress the art to do something that they they personally felt very invested in, they believed in deeply, and kind of, you know, to hell with the haters sort of ideology it was just you know what i will figure out a way to live as long as i can plug away at this project for x amount of months and in some cases like stardew valley x amount of years now originally the game was built in flash so yeah actually the entire game was built in flash which is crazy but later on definitive versions of the game were released and it saw some direct x support using a custom game engine instead meaning that it basically was given these glorious 4K full HD visuals that you will now see if you were to pick up the game. When it comes to this game and its unique uh, visual style, this is a massive improvement. You will so notice if you watch this on some sort of large screen television or play it on a big screen TV, you are going to see such an improvement in the graphics. I I can confirm personally. Now, the team themselves, Amanita Design, they worked with a really outstanding animator of the team who was reportedly so good, this is really interesting, he was so good at what he did, basically, that in order to be a little less precise, because the director wanted more of a, uh, I guess, less of precise of a look to some of the visuals, especially with the environments, he said, all right, we need to try something different. Basically, Jakob Dvorsky he said to the animator, try using your left hand instead of your right, right? So this person is right-hand dominant, tried using his left hand throughout the rest of the project, and of course, the problem with being an amazing animator is that you really aren't that bad no matter what you do. You are amazing. And so he only got better with practice, and it still became this outstandingly detailed game. If you look at any of the uh, environments, any of the stills, any of the you know scenes in the game off of YouTube... I can really only describe this over the radio waves as a moving painting. I highly implore you, just give it a quick Google. If you're driving, don't pull over. You probably have somewhere to go right now. But when you get to your destination, take the time, give it a Google, and see what this looks like because it is outstanding. It is it is really like a moving painting. It reminded me, I watched, um, 
a movie last year actually it was called loving vincent and it was the first of its kind it was an entire motion picture film where every single scene was a hand-painted oil painting so just like what vincent van gogh would do right it's it's that sort of style and that's how beautiful this is if you ask me it's it's very very similar in that it it just has a look that i've not ever experienced before especially in hd now in my research when i was looking up stuff about the game i encountered that there was a couple of panels and interviews and stuff with jacob and uh he talked a, a lot about some really solid game design tips and so i wanted to share with you folks some of them that really stood out to me now First thing is that no matter what game you're making, no matter what kind of game it is, whatever it is, there needs to be, you know, even if there's a huge focus on the story or not, stuff like Stardew Valley had minimal story or Gone Home had huge amount of story, right? No matter what, if it's small, big, the more mythos that you can put into your game, the more world building that you can put into your game than you can even include in the actual title itself is crucial all right he focused on this jacob dvorsky he said that you need to put in so much more work into the world building that no one will probably ever see unless you get two sequels three sequels because it gives you it it helps you well think of it this way with dragon age origins our dragon age origins episode it was kind of mirrored there was the same sort of concept the head writer of that particular game said that he crafted the entire world before even figuring out that the first game in the series of Dragon Age would focus on one continent, okay? So basically, what he said was, the more when you flesh out more than necessary, you're able to go, give good, re, really good reasoning to the decisions that you make, okay? So say you take a any given city. You think to yourself, well, why is the city built this way? Why is it designed this way, that way, and the other? And the reasons, X, Y, and Z, aren't depicted in the game, but they give justification, right? So... Even if you, no one ever really finds out through any lore, any extra stuff in art books or, or whatnot, it still gives this, this justification as to why it is that way, and it will make the product better. Now, another thing that Jacob mentioned is about challenge. And he talks about challenge being important to a game, but he says that it is certainly not vital. Now, remember, this game came out in 2009, and since then indie games have certainly taken off and a lot of experimentation has been done stuff like walking simulators we talked about gone home he mentions games like dear esther they basically have little to no challenge inherently but they manage to deliver this really engaging story this memorable experience okay and i think that this is really important to to think about because games the days of old games from the days of old stuff like super mario brothers stuff like uh f-zero and super punch out those sorts of games, they were tough as nails. But that does not mean that you need to replicate that experience to have a game as good as those from back in the day. Okay, Def Games were difficult back then for a totally different reason, which we can try and get into more maybe during a future episode. But basically, they had to be this tough because they produced, they needed to re reproduce replayability for console gamers. Okay, and not in a fair way necessarily. Basically, the, when they make a game more difficult from back in those days, it was just the, the bosses have more health. And this is true even to this day. It's, it's a problem that a lot of games fall into, unfortunately. Bosses just have more health, you do less damage. Really simple ways to make the game harder and give it more replayability. 
So this is why a lot of the games nowadays, they seem so easy to people, especially if you've been, you know, a veteran gamer since the late 80s, early 90s. It's because developers have basically wisened up to the fact that games aren't really meant to necessarily challenge the players until their teeth fall out of their heads or they grow bored of the game. That's not the point of games. It's to make it fun and to lead them through an experience that you want to guide them through and make them feel like they they need to experience it and finish it, right? Now, replayability is something to consider as well, but it's also not the most crucial aspect. If you're designing an experience, says Jakub, and you make it good enough, then players are going to want to experience it again with a different perspective. Now, just thinking about it from my own perspective, there are a few, just a handful of games that I have replayed, okay? Pokemon being one of those series. That game series is just so addictive, and uh, even since I was a kid, maybe it's because I have that background as a kid, this is something that has huge replayability to me. I just want to capture more Pokemon and trade them up into a different game and then restart the game and capture other ones that I missed or something and still experience the story and and all of that. So games like that, I think, have really great replayability. Now, there are other games, from my perspective, that I think do not have huge replayability. And by replayability, I mean this. I mean, you go from the start of the story to the end of the game, right, when the credits roll, and then you would want to start it back up again. Okay, that's replayability. I'm not talking about a game like, say, a fighting game. Say some Tekken or Injustice or something or a Street Fighter. One of those, right? That I'm, I'm not considering as replayability because there isn't really story in it. Yes, they have story modes a lot of the times. Little short story modes where you play against, you know, eight battles in, in a row and then you get a little bit of story for your character at the end. That sort of deal not the same. That's not replayability. I think that's just inherent, the gameplay itself. Replayability is from start to finish. So when it comes to replayability for me, there's very few games that actually reach that where I finish it and then I want to go back and just experience it again from the beginning because I feel like I've invested so much time a lot of the times. Stuff like Fallout, stuff like um, the Persona series, a lot of the times RPGs. There are games that require 40 60, 100 hours to complete. Persona 5 being one of those. 100 hours most recently is uh, estimated to be the completion time for for that title. And I've heard people say, you know, I beat it and I just want to play it again from the start. And that blows my mind. I cannot fathom putting 100 hours into something and then wanting to start over from scratch again. Okay? Now, when it comes to artificially adding replayability, you can do that. And Jakub mentions a little bit uh, of this. So, and, and this is true in the case of Machinarium as well. It's a quick little five-hour experience, but it does have achievements. And achievements are something that people love, 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 love. So from, psycho- from a psychology perspective, the fact that you can see what achievements there are and which ones you have and which ones you're missing, and they even assign point values, especially on... I, I don't know if the Xbox current Xbox Live experience has point values associated with achievements, but certainly back in the day on the 360, you had the achievements that had, you know, 10 points, and then the achievements that were 50 points and 100 points. And PlayStation does have that as well. They have platinum trophies, they have gold, uh, bronze, and silver. So they assign values, and you and you feel like you want to complete, you know, all of the achievements and get some of the higher, more tougher ones to 
to achieve, to reach. This is another reason why you look at the PlayStation achievements and you see not just, uh, and this is true on Steam as well, you see not just the achievement itself, what it takes to do it, a lot of the time, sometimes they're hidden, and what level of difficulty or or time investment a lot of the times that it is, so bronze, silver, platinum, etc. But also it says, what is the percentage of players who've played this game that have gotten that achievement? Seeing that is such a motivator for a lot of gamers. You see that, you know, maybe your friends, none of them have this achievement, or only... 0.8% of the people who've played this game have gotten this achievement. You want to be part of that elite. You want to be part of that club. It's it's very much a, a big motivator for gamers subconsciously and probably consciously as well. So adding achievements adds a lot of replayability. Now the other thing that you can add is New, new Game Plus. And this is probably the case for RPGs more so than anything else. You're able to retain the levels that you have sometimes the equipment that you have sometimes, the skills that you've earned sometimes, by the end of the game, you're able to retain all those and start the game fresh. So you can still experience the story, but you're not going to be starting from a blank slate. You've still got some stuff to, to help you out, to help you through the experience a little bit quicker, to ease you know the pain of grinding through hours and hours and hours of random encounters or something like that. So New Game, new game Plus is one of those things. Now I will continue. There's a few other tips that Jakub... Vorsky wanted to impart onto the crowd at a particular panel that I watched from a 2013 games conference. But for now, though, I want to listen to some more music. So let's go and do that. Exactly. Okay. Mr. Handagoat is what we're going to listen to next. It's one of the favorites, I think, off of the album. And then after that, we'll listen to the Game Boy tune. Of course, both of these from the composer of the Machinarium soundtrack, Thomas Vorjak. So I hope you enjoy it. If you want to call in, 949-824-9... Actually... I think 949-824-4969 is the current number that we're using. We've actually got some things changed around in the studio this evening. So feel free to call in 949-824-4969 if you want to make a request, uh, maybe for later on in the show, or if you want to get ready for a giveaway that I'm going to be doing. Yes, a giveaway. Of course, that's one of the best things about Lag Radio, right? We do weekly giveaways here on the show. Every single week that I have a show that we're covering a video game, I do a giveaway. So this week's giveaway. Pretty easy, actually. I'm just going to give you a copy of the game. Yeah, I will be happy to gift you a copy of Machinarium, the collector's edition. It comes with the soundtrack. It comes with the uh, bunch of extras like wallpapers, original art, behind the scenes, all the stuff. I will be happy to gift it to you. As soon as I tell you those magic words a little bit later on in the program, I will invite you to call in. Again, get that number down early, 949-824-4969. Have to get into the uh, the mindset of saying that it's so different than UCI KUCI. It's so easy. All right. Without further ado, let's listen to Mr. Hendegoat off of the Machinarium soundtrack. Thank you so much for listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. My name is Marmar the Midboss, and this is Lag Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Lag Radio. Here with me, Marmar the Midboss, here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. We just got done listening to two songs by Thomas Vorjak off of the Machinarium soundtrack. We listened to Game Boy Tune, and then before that one was Mr. Hendegoat, arguably one of the best, if you ask me, off of the soundtrack. Some really fantastic uh, atmospheric, kind of chill, electronic vibes going on there. 
Hope you're enjoying. Hope you're enjoying. So we are discussing, again, Machinarium. It's a game that came out in 2009 on the PC, Mac, and Linux, and then was ported later on to various other different platforms. We were discussing a little bit about game design and what makes game design so important to some developers of the modern era. Now, we just got done talking a little bit about replayability and challenge, but another thing that uh, the creator of the game, Jacob, actually was very strongly opinionated on, it seems, is breaking genre rules. Now, he says that you have to break these genre rules or else you're not going to be original. You know, it's one thing to make a decent combination of a bunch of different elements from other games. You know, I think that it's it's not to say that it's easy to make a game, but it's easy to draw inspiration from a bunch of different things that's worked for a bunch of different other products and then put them into one singular title but it's totally something else to create really a piece of art that's going to push the form itself and it's going to take what people you know take for granted and flip it on its head now i think that there's a really solid example of this particularly in machinarium when there is a moment and we haven't talked about the story quite yet we're about to but there's a moment where you are asked questions by a sentient fan yes a fan, not a human being like, wow, I'm a big fan of, blah, blah, blah. no, an actual fan. And you have to get past this fan somehow. Now, interestingly, if you answer correctly, then the, the fan itself is very pleased with you and then it just falls asleep because it's bored. Okay? However, if you answer wrong to its questions, it gets progressively more upset. It gets progressively more angry with you and enough to eventually actually break its propellers that it has and create an opening for you to go into the next area, which it leads to a greenhouse. Really interesting in the way that it was able to flip this kind of typical thing. Of course, I mean, you want to answer questions correctly. That is just, that's natural human human nature, right? So that's how things just are. You want to answer questions correctly because you're always rewarded for answering correctly. How often are you are you rewarded for answering questions incorrectly? It was really fascinating. So it made me think a little bit about other games that maybe break some other genre rules and maybe will make you think about them uh, as well. So certainly there's other experimental titles out there, stuff like uh, Journey, stuff like Abzu, from you know really visionary people who want to create these experiences. They're not so concerned about the length of games. This was something that we talked a little bit about when we were playing uh, Brothers: A Tale of Two Sons. So, talking about how it's the length of the game shouldn't matter. It was it's the quality of the game itself that matters most. You know, I think a lot of people get a little too caught up with the well, you know, this game cost me. X amount of dollars, and uh, it's estimated to give me, you know, eight hours of gameplay, so it can break that down to X amount of dollars per hour. Oh, that's not really that great a deal. I'm not going to buy it. Something like that. It completely negates the fact that those, you know, five, six, seven hours in a game, a shorter game, that they might be some of the most mind-blowing, you know, experiences that you will ever have. I can think of one particular game that I enjoyed and it was very, very short, but it was so sweet and so endearing, and I loved the characters immensely. Again, an indie title. It's called Thomas Was Alone, and it's where you play as a, a square, actually, or a, a host of other different uh, shapes. There's a rectangle, there's a, there's a sphere, you know, a circle, and other ones, and none of them speak exactly, 
They kind of do, but they don't exactly speak. They're just shapes, and you're supposed to platform around uh, with the other shapes. And there's a narrator who kind of talks from the perspective of certain shapes and the feelings and whatnot. And it's, again, it's a very, very short game, but when it comes to the actual emotional impact, when it comes to the soundtrack and the, the experience as a whole, this was vastly better than, you know, maybe 40, 50% of the games that I've played because it's just so much better of a quality. I didn't feel like I was cheated on my money, for example, because the game was so short. No, it's it really is the quality, right? So this is one of the things that I was talking about. So the, the breaking genre rules, producing these really fascinating experiences that you're not able to get in other art forms, right? You're not going to be able to experience this walking into a museum. You're not going to be able to get this going to the movie theater. Now, this is where it kind of segues me a little bit into another game that I was thinking, or a few games, a series of games, I guess, that not exactly break the genre rules, but they tried to do something that games before them weren't quite as good at doing. And these are the games by Quantic Dreams. So games like Heavy Rain, games like Detroit Become Human, which we covered in an earlier episode, games of that sort where you are basically playing a a movie. You know, you're basically playing an interactive novel or story. Everything kind of plays out as as a movie would and then at certain junctions you're given options you're given choices which direction do you want to go which pathway do you want to go down which how do you want to respond to this particular person who's approached you and is questioning you or or about to assault you you know that sort of thing so these games from quantic dreams i think are are format bending genre bending they kind of create a genre around them because we don't know exactly how to classify them are they are they playable movies or what you know so this is where breaking genre rules i think he's pretty spot on when it comes to if you want to be original if you want to create something to further the art itself the art of video game creation itself that you need to take what is a typical genre and try and do something different give it a, a different type of twist now another thing that he does talk about in uh, this panel that he hosted at a games conference in 2013, he talks about coherency. So can, coherency being a hugely important characteristic. Now every single part of a game needs to contribute to the whole. It needs to create this vision. People sometimes I think get too wrapped up, too wrapped up in oh we should have this because you need to have this element in a game to make it good. Like say maybe multiplayer or some certain first person elements. No. Okay. Sometimes this just does not work with certain visions. I will say that if I thought about the game that we played this week, Machinarium, in first person perspective, it would have completely messed around, I think, with the ability to, to take in all the scenery, all the, the beautiful uh, environments that were hand, you know, drawn by the animator or all the puzzles that are spread out throughout a scene. It doesn't really contribute to the vision to give an optional first person perspective. So there are certainly elements of game design that you need to consider not including because it's going to detract. I think, again, a lot of the times publishers especially probably push developers to to shoehorn in stuff like multiplayer or loot boxes or uh, a whole host of other different elements that are just, they're not, they're not good for the game. They're not healthy for the game and they're not going to make the audience necessarily think more highly of the game or that the world itself is better with this added in. You know, one of those 
that I'm thinking about with uh, multiplayer. So Stardew Valley originally was intended to be a, a single-player game, but also it was promised by the developer, not Chucklefish, that was the publisher, but uh, uh, Concerned Ape. So he said, uh, he said that he was going to put in multiplayer at some point later on down the line. He, he wasn't sure if he was going to be able to launch with it, but it would be put in later on. And this was something that once it did launch, it didn't have multiplayer. He had to add it in later on. It actually just came to PC, I think, in the past year. And it was released something like 2015, I believe. So relatively recently added on, it's something that he wanted to do. It's not something that any sort of outside party forced on him. It's something that he felt was natural and important to the Stardew Valley experience, basically the Harvest Moon experience, right? Where you are farming... And instead of just being a solitary sort of run through, instead you can bring your friends along. They can help you uh, mine or fight monsters in a cave or, uh, you know, harvest your crops or talk to some of the people in town, do some of the events. So he, he thought about this multiplayer. And before even promising it to the whole community, he thought whether or not it made sense given the world itself. So coherency, again, hugely, hugely important. Jacob, uh, the creator of Machinarium, definitely focused on that. So we're going to jump into the story in just a little bit. I think we should listen to a little bit more music from the soundtrack. So let's listen to the Black Cap Brotherhood theme, and then let's listen to The Prison, and then we'll uh, start talking a little bit about the story. So if you want to call in, 949-824-5824, 949-UCI-KUCI. Or actually, no. Dang, see, I'm on autopilot. It's not the current number. That is usually our number in the station. Right now, we are working, rewiring some things. We're doing some work around the station. So the current number to call is 949-824-4969. Okay? 824-4969. And you will be definitely wanting to get that number down so you can call in later for the giveaway. Now, don't forget, we do have some social media outlets that you can visit. Twitter.com and Facebook.com slash radio. We have an Instagram it's at DJ double underscore Marmar. And you can go and visit our playlist slash podcast archive. It is lagradio.kuci.org. All right. Again, thank you so, so much for listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. My name is Marmar the Midboss. This is Lag Radio, and we are talking machinarium. Enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. My name is Marmar the Midboss, and you are listening to Lag Radio. We just got done listening to two songs. Most recently was The Sea, and before that one was The Prison, both of those off of the Machinarium soundtrack, of course, by Tomas Vorjak, also known as Flowex. You can find out uh, all this stuff off of his Bandcamp, as well as a host of other soundtracks that he's done and other... Uh, experimental works pretty cool stuff so we got done talking about the history and development of the game we got done talking a little bit about game design i'm going to talk about the story now now the story of machinarium is actually really interesting in that there is as i mentioned earlier no real spoken dialogue the characters all kind of interact by actions then there's like dialogue and backstory that's conveyed to the audience via these little thought bubbles of animation and it's really interesting that the dialogue and backstory is that that's delivered via these thought bubbles it only happens if you stand still if you are kind of idling if you just are sitting you know at a random map some sort of random scene that's in the game and you happen to like look away from the game for maybe 30 seconds and all of a sudden these thought bubbles pop up from the main character that you're playing as joseph 
and uh there is some something that plays out in them like it shows him and his loved one jumping into a pool of oil or something and swimming it's it's really these cute little uh snippets of life that you get and it's only delivered when you aren't exactly playing the game it's fascinating so excuse me so what we get instead of the dialogue is we get these gorgeously sculpted landscapes mostly barren i will say that kind of post-apocalyptic in coloration in tone but without the words there to impede our progress through it okay so very different than something like fallout where yes you've got this post-apocalyptic background here right a lot of destroyed ruins of uh of buildings and home homes and stuff but here instead you don't have all of this conversation between random people across boston or across uh you know nevada you've got no words standing firm in this desolation though is a giant city this huge city it's almost like if i don't know if you guys have ever heard of mont saint michael before it's this out it's just this amazing mind-blowing island basically off of the coast of uh france i believe mont saint michel is just this entire city that was built on this island it's built up 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 it's it's like that but made of steel it is gorgeous in its own really special unique way i would highly recommend just googling mont saint michel uh m-o-n-t saint michel m-i-c-h-e-l if you've never seen it before do a google and uh yeah it looks amazing really this is the only form of life that you can see in this desolation otherwise it's just this you know barrenness a bunch of scraps and and metal bits all over the place but otherwise it's just this giant city in the in the background now we start the game gaining control of a character named yosef now his name is never explicitly stated in the game like i said there's no word there's no spoken dialogue you don't know his name he's just a robot that you play as However, he is given a name from, you know, lore and probably some sort of instructional book maybe that came with a physical edition of the game, or at least this is how the developers referred to him as. So, Yosef. And fun fact, real quickly, his name actually comes from the man who first coined the term robot, so Yosef Kopek. Now, Yosef the robot is broken. Okay, so he starts off missing an arm, missing a leg. He's laying in a junkyard, barely functioning. And it's here where the tutorial kicks in with some handful of lines of text to try and help teach you how to interact with the world. Yosef scrambles together some means of finding his arm and leg, the latter of which has actually been dumped at the bottom of a nearby pool of water. And you set out with some cl- to try and get some clarity on how you even wi- wound up being broken and in a scrap heap. Now, Yosef sneakily gets past a guard that's posted outside of the aforementioned major city. This is what the machinarium that the game is titled after, apparently. Again, according to lore spread elsewhere from the developers, not actually in the game itself, but the name of the city is Machinarium. And once he sneaks into the city, he discovers that there's actually, and this is where it gets surprisingly serious, there's actually been a terrorist plot from a group of three really evil-looking robots all seeking to blow up the highest tower in the city via a bomb. They are known as the Black Cap Brotherhood. Again, more info not discussed at all in the game, because no dialogue. And the trio, the Black Cap Brotherhood, managed to capture little Yosef at one point and imprison him. Luckily, Yosef is a very smart robot, very clever and witty, and is able to quickly figure out a means of escaping his confines and set out a way 
to stop the bomb from going off. And this is where the majority of the game plays out, basically. Yosef is traveling across all of Machinarium at this point, helping out citizens along the way. There's a lady with an umbrella that Yosef needs to, to use. He needs to use this umbrella to cross a certain path because there's all this water coming down from... Uh, above and of course robots would rust if they you know jumped into water so he needs the umbrella to pass through this path and the lady that happens to have this umbrella nearby also has lost her doggy robot very sad so you find it nearby on another map totally different scene you're able to lure it over using some oil and shoot like this not exactly a grappling hook but it's got a plunger at the end of it and you shoot the dog and you're able to quickly grab it now really fun part also of this is you do have a limited inventory in the game but the way that you handle the inventory because you are a robot because you don't have bags because you don't have backpacks or anything of the sort instead what happens is you just swallow whatever object it is that you just grabbed and so in this case you take this little doggy robot and you actually just open up wide and gulp it down into your uh, robotic body now, you go over to the lady, of course, and then reunite the, t- the two together. She gives you her umbrella as payment, and you're able to pass through. Later on, there's another person, another citizen, a robot man, who's in a wheelchair and needs oil to start moving around again, basically. The chair itself is squeaky, but also his leg is squeaky, too. So you are tasked later on through various different means to try and get oil for his chair and special type of oil for his leg. There's another group that's a robot group of robot musicians, actually. They've all had their instruments messed up, though, by that same trio of terrorists, the Black Cap Brotherhood, and they request your help to try and get their jam squad up and running once more. So this is kind of how the game just plays out. You see a citizen, you tell that they need something or there's something about them that's a little bit different that you can use as kind of a clue and you uh, go about trying to to figure out how to help them. Now along the way of helping out these robot citizens you do discover your lover named Berta and has been also kidnapped by the Black Cat Brotherhood and forced to well actually she's forced to cook. She's just kind of locked in this room this kitchen tiny tiny kitchen room and she's just cooking. It's kind of odd, actually. She helps you at one point get some gasoline to fuel a lift that rides you higher to the top of the city. Now, at the top of it all, at the top of the city, you go up, up, up. You reach a big brain robot individual. He's just kind of this really huge head that's larger than your body. And just kind of sitting, I guess, think about if you've ever seen Nightmare Before Christmas. There's the professor in that, the kind of crazy professor guy. I'm sure he's got a name. I don't know it, but... The crazy professor guy who created Sally, the uh, the puppet. Not not puppet, but I guess she's not a mannequin either, right? Sally. Yeah, you know the character. So this, this professor guy, he's got this huge, huge brain, right? This big frontal cortex, prefrontal cortex. That's kind of what this person looks like, this robot individual, just, of course, made of metal, completely made of metal. So uh, you find this big brain robot individual, but... They've been, I don't know, they're just kind of like jabbering. They're sitting in this chair. They seem brainwashed. They kind of, they're hooked up to some machines and just like kind of babbling and not able to look at you, just kind of stuck and, and turned into like this useless 
incapable being. Now you figure out the story of it all at this point. You figure out all the background and how you wound up to the scrapyard. You figure out that you used to actually work with this big brain leader of the city, actually. Or at least we assume it's the leader of the city because they happen to be at the highest point in the city. You and Berta both actually worked for him or worked with him. And at this point, some point before where we started the game, the Brotherhood, the Black Cat Brotherhood, came in. They wrecked everything, basically. They're your perfect, ideal little life that you had. They steal Berta, they kidnap her, they turn the big brain dude into a dazed and confused robot, basically, and for, basically framed you, actually, such that you wound up being trashed into a scrapyard. So they make it seem like you're the one that did this to the to the head of the city, and then this garbage disposal ship comes flying in and, and sucks you up, I'm, I assume by magnet, and then leads you into the scrapyard and dumps you there. So it is at this point that you, Joseph, are able to help the big brain robot by fixing him, and he, with his newly rejuvenated powers, suggests that you take an elevator nearby underneath where the Brotherhood are playing their card games, where they're betting on card games. Now, previously in the game, I skipped a whole lot of little tidbits here and there, of course, to save time and to to save from spoiling you the entire thing. I think it's still an experience very much worth playing. But uh, previously, you actually dumped a whole bunch of water into that room, and that door, or that room being locked on both sides, basically had these robots, these evil Black Cat Brotherhood robots, drowning in water. I mean, not drowning, because they're robots, they don't breathe air, but they are just kind of swimming around in this water for the rest of time so you take the elevator underneath them you're able to flush them out via this waste pipe you're able to free Berta from her kitchen prison and together the two of you take the flying garbage disposal truck that's at the top of the city and you ride it off into the sunset happily ever after or so we think actually there was mentioned that there might be a sequel to the game and I think that there may have been an after after the credits sort of scene as well where the garbage disposal truck crashes and the two of them Berta and Yosef are taken in separate different ships away from each other so who knows there might be more there might be more to the story certainly this doesn't do the game any sort of justice when it comes to the story itself and all the different unique individuals that you meet all the different robots with their funny looking faces and their mannerisms and and everything it's really something that needs to be experienced visually and uh, played through, or at least watched someone play through all the different puzzles and things. All right. So, without further ado, let's get back into that music. Let's listen to some more music. Let's listen to The Glass House with Butterfly, and then after that we can listen to Nano Robot Tune before we start discussing the last bits of the game, the gameplay. Very, very important, the gameplay elements. So, if you want to call in, 949-824-4969, 949-824-4969. You can also find us on the web, facebook.com and twitter.com slash lagliferadio. You can also find me at Instagram, DJ double underscore marmar is where you want to go to to follow me where I post there fairly frequently, not super frequently. I certainly have slowed down in the past few weeks. I've been kind of swamped with a lot of stuff with school here and and work or at the school i should say i don't go to school anymore here but at the school (laughs) a lot of work related projects and things have kept me busy from social medias but we will be ramping up we will be catching up uh also in addition to that the 
playlist archive, lagradio.kuci.org, I will be catching up to the stuff that I've missed there as well. So go and check that out if you haven't already. Highly recommend checking out some of our previous episodes available on podcast with some of our special guests before. All right, without further ado, again, Glasshouse with Butterfly and then Nanorobot Tune by Thomas Dvorak, also known as Floex, the composer to the Machinarium soundtrack. Thank you for listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. My name is Marmar the Midboss, and this is Lag Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. My name is Marmar the Midboss, and you are listening to Lag Radio. We just got done listening to the last few tracks off of the Machinarium soundtrack. Most recently was, fittingly, The End, also known as Prague Radio. Before that one was The Castle. We listened to Nano Robot Tune before that one. And at the top of the set was The Glass House with Butterfly. So we've listened to the whole album now. We've listened, or pretty much the whole album. We've talked about the story and the history and development of the game. Let's talk a little bit about the gameplay itself. So I didn't really mention a whole lot about how this game plays out, and I kind of wanted to leave that until the end. I did mention a little bit about how it's an indie game. I think I mentioned the word puzzle near the end there. But besides that, I didn't really talk about the gameplay. So when it comes to that, it is a point-and-click puzzler. And it uh, basically engages you, the audience, with a whole host of different types of brain teasers and, and puzzles and things. There are puzzles where you have to play and this was very difficult for me at the time, you have to play tic-tac-toe, but instead of getting three, you have to get five. And the board is something like, I don't know, it's something like 15 by 15 grid. So it's this big, big, big board. And yeah, you're playing against the the computer in a five-in-a-row tic-tac-toe. There are puzzles that you have to light up these cubes and they have to go in a certain sequence and they're kind of like they remind me a little bit of the game snake where you're not able to hit yourself or else you just kind of collapse on yourself you are able to technically touch the puzzle like the light up cubes when they light up it's hard to kind of like just say it over there you kind of really have to see it but or experience it yourself there's just really obscure difficult puzzles that you have to go and tune a radio to a certain frequency, and then whatever sound that comes out of the radio at that point, you have to replicate it on this very basic five or six uh, key keyboard. There are puzzles where you have to try and fit tiny boxes into larger boxes, all sorts of ones where you have to go between numerous screens and really make use of your brain. I will say that I am not hugely, hugely good at puzzles. I like these puzzle games. I like escape rooms, which is kind of what this is. It's almost preparing you for escape rooms in, in some way, shape, or form. But uh, I, I will say that it's, it's very challenging at parts. Now, really, when it comes to challenge, now we talked a little bit before, remember, about how the creator, Jacob, um, didn't like that people make games intentionally very difficult sometimes. So with regards to Machinarium and some of its very difficult puzzles, at least in my opinion, one of the best parts of the design in this game is how they implement a hint system. It is in fact a two-tier hint system where every scene, every map, I guess, that you are on, it has this easy to use but rather ambiguous sort of hint where you kind of click on a a thought bubble in the upper right-hand corner of the screen and you are able to see, generally speaking, how you should proceed. So, for example, you go to the map where um, there's a giant clock tower and there's 
another building to the right that there's a person kind of watching guard over. There's a giant well in the center with a man in the wheelchair that's nearby, kind of squeaking along. And uh, it when you click on the thought bubble hint, what it does is it shows you with a crank, with a lever, and it shows you next to this hole where there was space for that lever, and it shows you kind of pushing it. It's not animated you, it's kind of a, just a still frame of you, but you're grabbing onto the lever, it looks like it's an action shot of you turning it, and then it shows the infinity symbol above you. And you're supposed to try and figure out from there, what are you supposed to do? What does that mean? What is that referring to, the infinity symbol? So when I say it's ambiguous, it's it's kind of kind of tough. It's kind of tough. Now, they do have a second tier of hint. Basically, so this is the really interesting one to me. If you are truly, truly stuck, you're able to use this hint book, quote-unquote book. Is you click on a book in the upper right corner next to the thought bubble. It brings it up from its cover, actually. It shows it from the cover's perspective. And on that cover is a screen. And it then has you play out on this little screen a really slow if you ask me, kind of tedious minigame. Basically, it's a side-scroller from the left to the right. You're playing as this flying key, and it's able to shoot pellets. And you shoot these pellets to kill these spiders that get in your way, basically. And you're supposed to navigate this space as it continues to scroll to the right. And if you hit any sort of wall, then you die, and you have to start back in the beginning. If you hit a spider, then, of course, you also die. If you can get that key to reach the keyhole at the end of this stage, the book opens up, and then whatever map that you're on, whatever scene that you're on, it shows you step-by-step step what you need to do to pass it. And so it's almost like the game has its own built-in walkthrough. Like, you don't even need to go to game FAQs or, or IGN or any sort of other walkthrough because you have a built-in walkthrough. And I really, really like this a lot because, in a way, it's... I don't know if I want to say punishing the player, but it's it's making them deal with a difficult scenario in order to get past this other difficult scenario. And it kind of reminds me of, there's some there's some systems online for when you're browsing the internet. I think the one that I use is, uh, not Rescue Time, some sort of blocker, basically, where you're able to block certain websites you're accessing for certain periods of time or the entire website or certain areas of that website, basically because you know that they're time dumps, right? They're places where you just spend time over and over again and you just get looped into it like reddit right very very easy to get sucked into reddit for hours and hours on end and so this one particular program that i use it forces you to if you want to try and change around the settings like if you run out of time for the day browsing reddit if you want to try and edit the settings so that you can get more time with the site what you have to do is you have to type out this huge huge paragraph of text and you have to do it letter for letter. And if you mess up even once, then it sends you back to the beginning. Now, I will not say that I am the best typist in the world, but I will say I'm a fairly accomplished typist. And I struggled with that thing for a good 25 minutes just because I wanted to test it. And then I wanted to revert it back to not having that text block text paragraph in place. And it was such a struggle. And that's kind of what this is like. It's not punishing you per se, but it's really making you work for the ability to get past this difficult part in the game. Now, I will say one of the things that was tricky in the game, something that I wasn't a huge fan of, was just the movement. So there are places where your character, the robot, little Yosef, can stand and move, but they're all predetermined. You can't just freely roam around. And so that means that what you click on has to be 
kind of exact. And if you're clicking on something, then you're not necessarily going to the correct place. It's it's kind of weird. There's little areas where you click on it and it leads you to a nearby area and it's not quite close enough for you to reach, you know, a shelf above you or something. And it's a little bit frustrating sometimes. But besides that, I think that's a, a minor gripe. Now, all the puzzles, I will say, made me really feel like I was being tested. I will also say that sometimes they were pretty condensed. So they were all kind of put together clumped together in a way that it made me wish that they were spread out a little more. Like sometimes I felt like, uh, there's another puzzle. I want to just get past this damn screen, this damn level, you know? But again, it's a pretty minor issue overall, since you're basically complaining about having too much gameplay. You know, in a video game, I don't think that's a really decent criticism a lot of the time. Overall, I think Machinarium is a really splendid title. I love how beautiful it looks. I love how bizarre it can look and feel at times. The just the detail on the robots and the and all of the city, the machinarium, the city itself, all of the different steel spires and towers and things, it is so stunning visually for me. And I think that the music and the world work immensely well together. The work by Thomas Vorjak, Floex, on a machinarium soundtrack was just perfect. And the story maintains some really good humor, actually, despite some of those moments of seriousness like we talked about earlier. Overall, it's about six hours of gameplay, of course, depending on how smart of a cookie you yourself are. But overall, I would say it's well worth the admission price, even almost a decade after its initial release. It is currently on sale online. We are lucky in that we are right now in the midst of winter sales online. So you can go to Steam, you can go to GOG, you can go to a whole bevy of other websites and find it on sale as its collector's edition that comes with the soundtrack and the behind the scenes and all that if you'd like or if you just want to get the sa- the uh, game itself you're welcome to do that too highly recommend it in any way shape or form now this is the time where we get to do our giveaway 949824 actually i got the number wrong earlier we had things a little bit differently 994 949824966 UCI 9666. If you want to call in now, I'd be happy to try and take your call and get you a free, completely free copy of Machinarium's Collector's Edition. I will have it gifted to you straight to your PC or Linux or Mac or, uh, yeah, one of those devices, basically, right? So feel free to call in now. I will happily give that to you as our weekly giveaway. In the meantime, though, let's listen to some songs. Let's listen to a few songs off of the Hotline Miami soundtrack just because, or at least one song, I think. Let's listen to one song. Um, because I really enjoyed playing it in the past couple of weeks, and I love that soundtrack. And I think we're going to have to delay the episode until the new year, but we will eventually get to it. So I wanted to get just a little more taste. We're going to listen to my favorite artist off of that soundtrack, Moon. We're going to listen to the song Crystals. And after that, we'll listen to some stuff from... Uh, you know what? Let's listen to some chiptune stuff. Some stuff off of that Chip Winter Wilderness compilation album that came out in the past week. We're going to listen to Antler with the song Fractals. How about that? All right. Without further ado, let's get back into that music. If you want to call in for that giveaway for Machinarium, 949-824-9666. Thank you for listening to KUCI, 88.9 FM in Irvine. My name is Marmar the Midboss, and you are listening to Lag Radio. 
Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Lag Radio. Here with me, Marmar the Mid Boss. I am just wrapping up this evening's set. We just got done listening to Chrono Wolf with the song Slay the Bells. Before that one was Antler with the number four instead of the letter A. The song was called Fractals. Both of those are off of the Chip Winter Wilderness compilation. You can get it off of the Chip Tunes Equals Win Bandcamp for as low as free. Feel free to support them however little or as much as you would like. They've always been that way. Hopefully they will always be that way. They're a very wonderful community. Highly recommend checking all of their releases out. Before that one, we listened to Crystals by Moon. And that was off of, of course, the Hotline Miami soundtrack. Now, we are just about done for the evening. That does not mean that we are done for good, though. No, we have another show next week. I will be back in the studio live to bring you another game. This time... I'm actually not totally sure. <laughs> I'm thinking maybe Resident Evil, but uh, I'm still kind of up in the air and de- deciding. So if you want to actually connect with me, you can go to facebook.com or twitter.com slash radio. You can go to my Instagram at DJ double underscore Marmar. And uh, yeah, feel free to hit me up on any of those places. Give me some recommendations. Give me some suggestions. And maybe if you too want to be a guest, maybe I'll see about getting you on sometime. Either way, feel free to connect with me there. Also, if you want a free copy of Machinarium, the game of this week that we covered, feel free to call in. Actually, no, don't call in because I'm out of time. (laughs) Feel free to connect with me there as well. I'd be happy to give the first person who messages me there a copy of the game too. All right, so... That will just about do it for this week. Don't go anywhere, though. Riders of the Plastic Groove is on next. They're going to be live. Dennis is here in studio. Don't go anywhere. You're definitely going to want to hear the full two-hour set. All right. Without further ado, our final song of the evening is by Harley Likes Music. The song is called Used Blizzard, and it's off of, again, Chiptune Wilderness. We'll see you next week for another show of Lag Radio. Here with me, Marvin the Midboss. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas to all, and to all, a good night. <laughs>